What's going on today? What are you thinking? Oh, man. <sighs> what up? What up? What up? Man, I've been... Oh, today has been a day, my brother. Yeah. <sighs> Let me just say that. It's been, um, you know... <sighs> Let me just start by saying this. First off, man, it's good to see you good face see to you. face, man. I good really to good you. to see you, man. I, I am at my. Um, I feel almost as if I'm um, uh, I'm an old man, man. Like I'm, today, I feel old, and it's crazy because my routine was perfect today. Woke up at three thirty. Actually, I woke up at three fifteen before my alarm went off. Hit the ground. I was ready. I went and did my meditation. Um, everything's groovy, man. It's been back on track. I was, you know, my body kind of started feeling a little cruddy. Um, started drinking a whole bunch of good old H2O, uh, loading myself up, man, and uh, doing visualization, man. I started watching my, my, my red blood cells and my immune system boost itself. And I started visualizing them attacking whatever's trying to attack my body and all the mucus and stuff that I have, man, it's gone, man. So I feel groovy right now, bro. Groovy, groovy, groovy. Groovy, groovy, groovy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, man. Yeah. So it's good to see you, bro. Beard's still looking good, man. Yeah, it ain't bad. It ain't bad at all. So, um, so talk, so, so what happened? Like, have you seen that teacher, that seventh grade teacher? Yeah, I have. So here's the situation. This is how I really play the scenario. Um, we're in our break room. Uh, we decided that we're going to celebrate the last eight days of school by bringing different things to school. Like, you know, yesterday was our salty treat. So we had like chips and dips and stuff in there. Today was a candy treat. So we loaded the table up with different types of candies, peppermints and candy canes. and You know, trying to be festive for the holidays. No other part is really doing it. You know, we, we decided that that's what we're going to do to celebrate um, the holidays, to kind of bring a little cheer. You know, everybody kind of signed up to bring something. Um, and so while we were in there, myself, um, two of the sixth grade teachers and a substitute teacher, I was sharing with them. The substitute was saying that she's never really encountered this caliber of students that have this level of disrespect to authority. Um, I proceeded to explain to her what I deduced for the reason. You know, I said, you know, these kids don't need a teacher that's going to raise their voice and yell at them and be disrespectful. That's what we think because that's the behavior they display. So that's what we think that that's what they need when the reality is what these kids really need is a hug. They, they don't know how to ask for it, though. They want love. They want compassion. They want somebody to, to be there for them. Um, and the teacher, one of the teachers made the statement, um, maybe I should have you come and talk to my seventh graders because all of them. So immediately I smashed the brakes on that because the state alone troubled me. But the statement coupled with the fact that this was my daughter's teacher troubled me even more. Um, and again, I know the teacher, and I know that the teacher is, is a good person, but I know that the teacher is frustrated. And, you know, I often say that frustration only comes in when you know what you should be doing and you're not doing it. 
if I don't know what I'm to be doing, I'm not frustrated. I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. I'm just meandering through life. But when I know that there's something else that I could or should be doing and I'm not doing it, then that's when frustration really sets in for us. And so I proceeded to you know, share with her from a, both a, t- a professional standpoint and from a p- parental standpoint, can't lump all of our students into the same basket. I know for a fact not every student that's at this school comes from the same background. I know that every school student in this school are not the ones who are yelling and running through the hallways. I know that every student in this school is not the one that's giving us problems every day. I can look at the dynamic of my own classroom and notice that there are two or three here, one or two here, two or three here, one or two here. And those little pockets are the ones that we have to, as educators, realize, do do I want to spend my energy to try to win over the students that are causing the issues? Or do I want to pour my energy into those students who are not causing the issue so that they can be celebrated and, and built up? And it just boils down to what, what, where are we going to go with that? Like, it just, it's blanket statements. Again, as educators, I know for a fact that we all, we do the lumping. We do the all kids. We do the all teachers. We do the all schools. But just because we do it doesn't mean we make it right. And you just never know who's listening and what type of ear they're listening to you with. Had I been a weaker teacher who did not really understand, or if I would not have been a parent, would my conversation have been different? Would I have fed into that? I've been like, oh yeah, all the kids jump off the bridge. Oh my God. But just to even have that thought in your mind that a kid who's giving you trouble could jump off a bridge. What does that say? You know, we always want to say students need to change their behavior. But if teachers don't change their behaviors, then what's the purpose of what's the purpose of us trying to change the students' behavior? We can't change our own. You know, one of the things that I remember Ben talking about it, you and I talked about it with Ben on the podcast about self-discipline, uh, mastering yourself. How can we expect to teach a kid to master themselves when we as educators ourselves have not mastered who we are? You know, we're one, we're, we're allow students to pull us out of who we are and become something different every single time they do something. We react to what they do. And I think I shared with you earlier, I was talking with my sister yesterday, and because I kind of got to the point to where, I mean, it's right before break. Everybody's tired. Everybody's frustrated. Everybody is ready for the break. Everybody wants to break. And then this is finals week, so tension even just that much higher. And my sister said to me, she said, keep doing what you're doing. Because those kids that you're teaching has never, they have never experienced someone like you. They've experienced people who said one thing and did something else. They've experienced people who said one thing and did nothing. So you keep being who you are and eventually it's gonna happen. And she, she hit me with this and it, I didn't wanna look toward March, but she said, you won't see the benefit of what you're doing until March. Well, as a teacher, I don't want to hear that, <laughs> you know, that I'm going to have to struggle till March. But then this morning, as I was driving in, I was listening to, to uh, Will Smith, and he says that he, 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 he's leery of anybody who does not embrace failure, who does not embrace challenge. 
because those are the individuals who expect that everything is going to be great. And if you don't learn how to fail as a teacher, if you don't learn how to embrace your failures, embrace those challenges and grow from those, you're never, ever going to teach a kid to do it. And that is the fear that I have when you have teachers who make the statements, even amongst colleagues. Again, I can't say the teacher's a bad person. I can't. I can just say that was a bad judgment call there. And I just such professionally. You know, I didn't jump on her throat and been like, look, you talking about my daughter. No, I said, my daughter is in your class. So I can't believe that every kid in your class is just horrible. I know I sent you a star. I know I sent you a light. So even if you're saying everything else around you is darkness, you should have said, but there are a handful. You know, oh, I'm struggling with, these, with, these, with, these, with this class and I'm doing well with the kids who are doing it or I need help with the other kids. But to clump everybody into one big piece and say, all kids. I mean, there's been days that, I mean, can we just be honest? There's been days, Kyle, that I really wanted to walk away from this job this year. I'm talking about 2018, 2019. There's been times that I've been walked home so frustrated that I go home and I know that's from depression. I know that's from me feeling helpless. I know that's from me feeling like I don't know what else to do. But we, act, we said before, when you really want to, if you want to be the best at what you do, and I do, I'm, I'm being putting my hand up. I'm guilty of wanting to be the best teacher that I can be. I, I'm guilty of wanting students five years from now to saying, it was Mr. Law who helped me graduate high school, even though he hadn't taught me since sixth grade. I'm guilty of saying, I want to be the one to change a child's life. I'm guilty of saying, I want to be the one that when a child, I told my students this week, I say, I want to be the teacher that when you get ready to get married in, in 10, 15 years, that you call me back and I come and I sit at your wedding and I stand up and I say something before your guests because I want to know, let you know that I'm not invested in a year with you. I'm invested in the life journey that I'm on with you at this moment. And your life doesn't end after sixth grade. Your life continues. So why should your relationship with me, if we spent nine months trying to forge a relationship why am I going to throw that away just because you left my classroom? It doesn't make sense, but I think that that's a different mindset because some teachers just, I can't wait to get you out of my class. When the reality is, is that they're never out of our class. They're never out of our class. We're always going to be dealing with our kids in some way, shape or form. Either we do it consciously or we do it subconsciously. Um, but man, like I say, that just really, I didn't let it ruin my day though. You know, I was excited. I ate my lunch, um, continued to engage in the conversation. Um, but I had to set that straight. And even when I was trying, I wanted to comfort the teacher and I couldn't because part of me says, if she is feeling that way now, that's probably how they just don't know how to express it. You know, they, they just don't, you know, and I think it's so interesting that as, as educators, we don't look at it from a kid's perspective. I, I, I remember going to Disney World um, in Florida and when we were doing the little tour, they told the story about Walt Disney 
crawling on his knees throughout the park. And people thought he was crazy. Why are you crawling on your knees through this park? And he said, well, I want to be able to see the park from the perspective of our youngest, youngest kids. Right now, I'm not sitting in my teacher desk. My teacher desk is back here. It's a storage desk. I don't sit there. When I'm not engaged, number one, I'm walking around my room all the time or I'm at my, my rolling cart. But even when I'm not, I'm sitting here in my classroom at a, te- at a student's desk. And I'm constantly looking around from each perspective to see where, what do my kids see when they look around the room? What, what could I change? What do I need to add to the room? What do I need to take away? Is it too busy? Is it too much? Because I want to get the student's perspective. And I don't think a lot of teachers do that. We expect kids to come into our classroom and learn our lesson that we prepared all week long to present to you. And you're going to sit down and by God, you're going to learn it. What type of learning environment is that? No adult wants to be in that environment. You know, and I, I know Chris Emden talks real big about the um, uh, cogenitive, cogenitive groups. Um, and to me, that is what we have to be. This generation of students expects you to partner with them. They don't expect you to teach them. And we can't lead our kids unless we partner with them. You know, think about the partnerships we into, the partnership you and I have. I, I made an observation. We made a connection. From that connection, we built upon it. We had more conversations about it. That connection got stronger. It got formulated. It got crystallized, and it became the LED project. And from that, it turned into the Lighthouse Educator Academy. It turned into the LED Project Podcast. It turned into all the many things that we're doing right now to impact teachers. All from one encounter and experience that we used and we built because there was a cogenitive. I never came to you and said, Kyle, you need to do this. I said, Kyle, take a look at what's going on in your life. Look at other areas of your life and compare it to what you're doing and see. Everybody wants to partner with people, even in relationships. We don't want somebody that we do everything for or that they do everything for us. We want a partner. A partner means that somebody who comes alongside of you. My pastor used to always say his prayer has always been that for he and his wife, he doesn't want them both to be down at the same time. You know, he he says his prayer is, God, don't let us be down at the same time. If you're down, let me be up so that I can come down and bring you up. If, if I'm down, let you be up so that you can come down and bring me up. And notice that I'm not going all the way down to where you are. I'm just going down far enough for you to know that there's hope and there's something above what you can't see. And once you see me peeking through the darkness, you can say, oh, that's where I'm supposed to be. And then we come up together. That's a partnership. That's what our classrooms have to become. And man, I tell you, I, when I made the statement to my kids, when I posted it on IG last week about partnerships, and I said to them, what do I have to become as a teacher? What do I have to become in order for you to be successful in this class? And one of my students said, Mr. Law, you ask us questions that no teacher has ever asked us before. And again, my statement is always, I don't think I'm doing anything special. 
I'm teaching the way that I know. I'm a sociologist by nature. I study people. This is what I do. You know, I, I look at group dynamics. And as a teacher, there's no better, you know, there's no better um, uh, field study that you can get than being in a classroom. You know, I have 34 different personalities in one class, 32 in another, 30 in another, 26 in another. So when you have that many kids that you're having to connect with, if you're not doing it cogenitively, you're not working with them collaboratively and getting them to understand and embrace what is it like to work as a collective, then you're just trying to merely force them to do what you ask them to do. You find me a, a parent that says they have a 11, 12, 13, or 14 year old rule follower, a student who follows the rules with every single thing, I'll say you found, you found a gym because that, that just doesn't happen too often. So, I mean, like I say, man, this is, <laughs> you know, like I say, man, I, understanding that my kids are not going to follow every rule, but as long as I can instill in them the process of learning something, it's a win, you know, it's a win. And I take every win I can, whether it's an overtime, double overtime, triple overtime, by one, by three, by seven, by 17, I'm gonna take it as a W. And even if I lose, you know, my, ki my kids and I've been talking about taking losses and failure. And I told them, you only fail when you don't learn from your lessons. When you don't learn from not winning, when you don't learn from losing, from not being on top, that's when you fail. I can make bad grades all day long. And if I learn from those bad grades, then I'm not a bad student. I'm just a student who's not there yet. That's one of the posters I'm making right now in my room is the poster that says yet. That's it, simple, yet. Mm -hmm. So you say, I can't do it. I'm pointing up to my, my poster, yet. Well, I'm not there, yet. Well, everybody's moving faster than me. I can't go as that fast, yet. You have to change your narrative and these kids have not been taught to do that. And that's where, that's where I come in. And that's why, you know, I believe in divine placement, divine timing, we talk about that all the time. Um, man, like I say, I, oof. You know, it was a big lesson, my kids, we were talking about the Texans and the loss. I say, isn't it irony that the team started off our, our winning streak with? We started our 9-0 winning streak against Indianapolis with a three-point victory, and we ended our nine-game winning streak with Indianapolis with a three-point loss. And the kids were like, you always look at numbers like that. I said, no, I look at situations, and in the situations, I see the numbers. There are patterns in it. And when we get to the point that we get students to start looking at patterns and looking and seeing what's happening and how this is affecting this, that takes learning beyond the textbook. That takes learning beyond these four walls that we sit in. And we, we, we got to do it. I mean, we can't. We can't afford not to, man. It's, it's just, we have to, teachers, we have to change our minds. We have to change our mind. There's no bad kids. I mean, yeah, there are kids that do, that do bad things. There are kids that make bad decisions, but they're kids. You find me a kid that had never made a bad decision? Kyle, I shouldn't be here talking to you right now, sitting in a classroom that they are saying, my stewardship is mine. 
teaching somebody else's kids when this is the grade that I dropped out of school in. Mm-hmm. This is a class that caused me to drop out of school. You know what I mean? So you talk about irony, you start looking at things, it's like no, somebody had enough faith in me to push me beyond. With, who's going to be that for that student? We know some of the parents are not doing it. You know, I hear kids all the day say, my parents don't care. Oh, you can call them. They don't care. And when I call them, they don't care. They say, thank you very much for the information. I'll talk to them when I get home. Kids tell me, can tell me, no, they didn't even talk to me. I mean, so not to partner with parents, to partner with the teachers, partner with the students. Let's get these students into a place where they actually um, um, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I like, I, you know, and just to come back, I, I feel like, you know, maybe it's unrealistic for us to do this every single day, but if we did this two or three times a week, you know, we just had our wrap and, and we could turn that into our own vlog. It wouldn't take a lot, but I mean, and I think that, that, you know, that could be just another podcast episode. I mean, we could knock out two or three interviews, you know, drop two or three interviews a week and one of this and just continue to build. But like, yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's what I've been saying. Like you're, I mean, you, you got a voice, man. And, and people listen. And we've got a megaphone. You know, we just need to make it a little more mega. <laughs> but, you know, I think with me and I, I I'm slowly developing this. Um, being a teacher leader is the reason I went back into the classroom. Um, I'm going to try not to get emotional, man. God, we'll try not to. Um, but being a leader in a system that does not appreciate people who go the extra mile, who don't appreciate people for having original ideas, and thinking outside the box. It's hard. It's a lot harder than I anticipated. Um, because my, my, my vocabulary is not the same as everybody else's. My habits are not like everybody else's. So when you start talking about educational, reframing education, and you start having conversations, you know, when people come to you with a complaint, and you instantly go into Let's dissect your complaint and figure out what we can do. They don't want to talk about that. It's easier to complain than it is to draw up a play to keep what's happening from happening. And I think for teacher leaders, I I get it now, even just, again, just three months in, the difficulties that, that a lot of leaders, teachers who maybe become administrators, not because they want to, because they feel like I'm already viewed as one so that makes me an outsider within the teacher rank I'm not an administrator so it makes me an outsider among the higher ups you know right 
So it leaves me kind of alone in the middle trying to play both sides. And I just choose to stay in the middle and just do what's right. You know, I, I, I think my brother-in-law used to always say when, you know, when you're in the Navy, you know, you got to steady your course. When you know you have a target, you steady your course. And if somebody is coming in front of you, then, then you know, you, you, you have something to pay if you're in between me and my destination. And that, and that goes for teachers, that goes for students, that goes for admin, that goes for anybody. My goal, my objective, my mission that I've been assigned here says, grow our students. Grow our students. So I gave my students the equation, growth over grades. I wrote it as a fraction, growth over grades. One will get you both. You can get good grades. I can open grade book everybody at 100. I can keep giving you assignments over and over again until you get it and give you a 100. But does that make you grow as an individual? Or I can challenge you. I can set you up in the positions where you can fail. You know, um, you know, I think about when I used to practice, we used to practice basketball and you practice football and you had walkthroughs where you literally just walk through. You practice so that you can, it's a controlled opportunity to fail. It's a controlled opportunity set up so that you can fail, so that you can stumble, so that when you get to doing it at full speed, those things don't come. But we don't want to give our students that opportunity to practice at failing. I told my students, I, I, I struggle at night trying to figure out what can I do to make you fail. I want you to fail. I want you to struggle. I want you to, to, to get frustrated because the only when you're frustrated and you fail does your brain grow. We know that now more than we've known in the past. But when you start talking research to teachers who don't want to talk research, you want to talk about research to teachers who say, I've been teaching this way for 20 years, I'm gonna keep teaching this way. Well, that would work if you were teaching the same kids for 20 years. <clears throat> But every year our kids get smarter. Well, they can't think, they can't learn. Well, there's no instruction manager on how to play Fortnite. But I guarantee you, if I, if I brought in a group of, let's say I got 36 desks in here, if I brought 36 kids in there right now who all knew Fortnite, they could come in here and they could teach a lesson to anybody on Fortnite. And they've never read a manual. They've never read a book. Nobody showed them. They, they wanted to do something and they went out and found the knowledge. So when we're sitting in classes and we're spoon feeding them, spoon feeding them and spoon feeding them, and then we wonder when there's time for assessment that they can't perform is because, or they can't accept when they fail after their performance, then what are we, what are we really doing? What are we really doing? What are we, you know? And I, I, oh man, I, I love my job. And this is what I, I had to clarify this in, in, when I had the conversation. This is my passion. Teaching is my passion. I'll sit and talk education with anybody. I don't care who you are. I'll talk education. If you want to strike up a conversation about education, let's talk. Because I feel like there's so much more that I need to know. There's so many more areas that I can grow in as a teacher, as an educator to better my students' outcomes. That's one thing I love about our podcast, that we get to talk to 
educators from all over the world, all over the world, not the city, not a PD that I attend, all over the world. I get to get insight and say, hey, I've tried this method. I've tried this. Hey, I've looked at doing this. Hey, I've looked into doing that. And in every one of those situations, I grow. I come to terms with the fact that I'm not perfect. As great of a lesson as I can present to my students, there's still days that I come in here after I've prepared that that lesson kicks my behind and the kids did not get it. So I could either go home and say the kids are slow, the kids can't learn, they don't want to think, or I could go home and say, where did I make a mistake? At what point in the lesson did it go south and I didn't realize it? You know, because when you're holding that type of lens against yourself, again, that responsibility is on me. I told my kids, well, I take it personally because I want to know what did I not do? Where did I not go? What, what, what length did I not go to? Should I have zigged when I zagged? Should I have rapped instead of singing? Should I sing instead of rap? You know what I mean? What, what was the big issue that I missed because you failed? Hmm. And that's, that's like, teachers need to engage in that type of conversation. And it just is so funny because I, I heard back from Pedro Nagara's like booking assistant and he wants to talk about the relevance of Brown versus Board of Education on its 65th anniversary. Like, how did we, how did we fall into that conversation with that man? Wow. That is, and that's when? Friday at three. It's, I mean, but like, and that's, like, I don't even have anything to add. Like, I literally just sat there and listened to you talk for probably a good 30 straight minutes. And it's just, I mean, and, and I think that's why, you know, I mean, that, that dialogue, there's still a value to, I think there's a value to us dialoguing ourselves and there's a value to us sharing that dialogue. You know, and, and I think, we should do a weekly vlog like that should be a goal for for 2019 and it can be this or it can be us and it can be us doing things whatever i mean it's going to take me a little more work to cut it together and to do those things but i think i think it's just i'm almost to the point where we're so overwhelmed with things to share that if we don't start sharing more like it's going to be detrimental 